Thank you all for being so kind and so loving. What I've told you before, which is true, Debbie and I are the most blessed people here. God has allowed us and honored us and blessed us with being a part of your lives that we never would have been able to be a part of any other way. And, um, you know, I, I, I still hold to it. We are the most blessed people here. We are so grateful for you. I'm, I'm thankful that you guys are grateful for us, but we are so grateful for you. And some of you, you've seen the pictures. You know that I had hair. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for being so, so good. Such a great blessing. Why don't you turn and greet somebody around you, and you can be seated. Oh, my goodness. I was trying to compose myself, and it wasn't working real well, but (laughs) oh, God is so good. You know, we sang this morning um, the song, Your Love Never Fails. And you know that's true because God is love and he never fails. He'll never fail us no matter what it looks like. He's always there. He cares and and he is bringing to pass something that is life-giving and life-changing. And and today we're going to continue on in in looking at the the, uh, series that we started about unity. Um, We all believe that there is revival that we're going to see. Uh, in a way that we've never seen it before. But we, we've come to learn that revival requires unity. And we learned that from Jesus' prayer where in John chapter 17, he said that um, he prayed that we would be one as he and his father are one. That's, that's astounding, that he would pray that we would have a connection between other believers in Christ, the way the Father and the Son are connected. Does that, does that challenge anybody else here in thinking about that? I mean, just think about this. There are people that you naturally gravitate towards, you're close to. There are other people that you're not drawn to, but they're believers. And God wants the same unity between those that you're drawn towards and those that you aren't drawn towards in the body of Christ that there would be a supernatural unity that God has. And he prayed that we would be one, as he and his Father are one, for a purpose. And that purpose was that the world would believe that the Father sent him. Right now, we're living in a time where there is so much division. And it's not just in the world, it's in the church. It's among Christians. And we have a choice of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, whether we're going to be the answer to Jesus' prayer or a hindrance to his prayer. And we've been learning about this and, and how important it is um, and how to go about it. And this morning we're going to continue. We're going to see some things that we've started into about um, being clothed with love and what that really means because God always has a provision for us before we ever have a need. God always supplies that. We just don't always recognize it. This morning, I believe we're going to see some things that will help us to walk this out and and live this life that God has for us and see the revival that God wants us to be a part of and, and have the impact 
in our family and friends and our neighbors and our co-workers that God has intended us to have. But before we do, let's pray. You just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, I thank you. I thank you for your love for me, for us. Thank you for the blessing and the honor to be able to fulfill your will and minister to your people, your bride, your beloved. Today, Father, I ask you to use me to speak what you once spoken so that, Father, your light would be, your word would be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. That your word, which is truth, would set us free. Your word would be life and health. That, Father, even today as your word goes forth, there would be healings, there would be salvations, there would be miracles. Because you said you would confirm your word with signs and wonders following. So, Father, thank you for your word going forth and it not returning void, but it prospering the way you sent it. That, Father, it would do all the things that you intended it to do so we could be who you have for us to be and do what you have for us to do. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So, revival requires unity. Unity requires love and in. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, we looked at this, and we're going to look at a couple of scriptures just to, to again, remind us. Uh, in the ERV, it says, together with these things, and it's speaking about the preceding verses, the most important part of your new life is to love each other. Love is what holds everything together in perfect unity. So there's not two or three different things. It's this, love. But love just like we see in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love. And it's manifest, it's expressed and experienced in all the other attributes that we read after that. This love has different parts to it. In verse 14 in the New Living Translation it says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Now, I don't know about you guys, uh, but I don't... I don't have outfits that I wear. I put on what I put on and I get checked and then we're good to go. Uh, uh, unless I slip out. Uh, but I know some people have outfits. Ladies, do you have outfits that you wear? Guys, do you have outfits that you wear? Oh, come on, help me out this morning. I, I know my wife has outfits. There are things that she puts together. She fits together the way uh, she's bought them so that they would go together. It's not just, uh, you know, a top and a bottom. It's, it's jewelry. It's all sorts of things. And, and it all goes together. I want you to know God has an outfit of love for you, but there are various parts. And we're supposed to clothe ourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Now, harmony is something that is diverse, but it's united. And so God wants the diversity of every one of us here in the way he wants us to be and created us to be, not the way may, maybe we have been. But there's a growth that we need to experience, a maturing, a developing. But we're, we're to clothe ourselves with love. And when we do that, you know, clothing can tell a lot of things about a person. How many of you know that you can identify people by their clothing? Who, who can you tell what they are by their clothing? Fire, firemen, who else? Police, soldiers, doctors, nurses, 
How about if you walk into Best Buy? Can you tell who's employed there? How do you tell? By their uniform. They, they have a shirt. They usually have some sort of combination of things, but somewhere on there, it reveals that they're a part of Best Buy. And it happens in a lot of different places. And why do people wear uniforms? Quick identification, right? Okay. Is there any other reason why people wear uniforms? What did he say? You just got to sit closer to him. <laughs> he said that his wife didn't have to match his clothes. Mark was a, a, a fireman, and so he wore a uniform. But part of your uniform wasn't just everyday stuff. What else did you wear? Okay. But when you went to a fire, okay, turnout gear. And what was that for? Protection. So uniforms are for identification of protection. Okay, can we all agree on that? And I want you to understand that what God has us to be clothed with is in some ways a uniform. It identifies us. Didn't Jesus say they'll know you're my disciples by what? By your love one for another. When you and I walk in love, when we wear love, when we act in love, people are going to identify you as a Christian. We shouldn't have to. Tell everybody, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. They should know that we're Christians because we act like Christ, who is God, who is love. And yet it's not just quick identification, it's also for protection. It, it protects us. And we started to learn this last week, and, and I shared with you uh, from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, uh, it says this. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love what? Okay, we'll try it again. Love what? Covers, Covers what? A multitude of sins. Not just one or two, a multitude. When we talk about multitudes, it's more than we can imagine. So... Love covers a multitude of sins. And we found out last week that that word covers this is a specific word. And, and I've, I've read this for years. It's troubled me until I finally had a breakthrough in understanding this. But the word covers means to wrap around, like bark around a tree. How many of you know you can identify trees by their bark? Yeah. If you look at a birch tree, it has unique bark, correct? But that bark isn't there just for identification. It's there for protection it protects the tree and that's that's the same way with us love identifies us but it also protects us and this is how it protects us when it says love covers a multitude of sins it's not talking about our sins it's talking about the sins that somebody will commit against you anybody ever had anybody commit a sin against them yeah obvious question yeah, it happens all the time. Sometimes it happens to us by unbelievers. Sometimes it happens to us by believers. People may, may treat us in a way that's, that's not what God wants. And if it's not what God wants, then it's an act of sin. Hello? And what's the result of sin? Death. But how many of you know that when somebody perpetrates a sin against you, death is trying to get at you too? When that sin comes at you, sin has associated death. 
And what we have to recognize is God doesn't want that death working in us. God doesn't want that death working in anybody, but we have to be able to be fortified, protected, and prepared, provided an ability to be able to not allow that death to work in us. When somebody sins against us, let's, let's put it in another context. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Anger is not a sin, but when we act on anger, if I'm angry at, at Pastor Gabe, that's okay. I can't let the sun go down on my anger. I have to deal with it. I have to rectify this. But if I act out on that anger, all of a sudden anger is controlling me instead of love. I'm in sin. Sin starts to work in my life. But how many of you know when I'm angry at somebody else or you're angry with somebody else, that anger inflicts some damage on them? Or, or, yes? Okay, I need your help this morning. This is interactive. Yeah, it... When somebody's angry at us, there starts to work in us this, this injury. And if it's not injuring us, it's irritating us. Why are you angry at me? And this is where the covering comes in. Because we found out when last week when we looked at this word, it means to wrap up, to surround, to envelop, to encase. And the example I gave you was an oyster. When an oyster has something that comes into it, gets into it, and begins to irritate it or injure it, it begins to cover whatever that irritant or that thing that's causing injury is. And it starts to put one layer upon another layer and upon another layer. It secretes a liquid and it forms this, this material called knacker. And all of a sudden what was once irritating or injuring, damaging, ends up as the oyster does what it does over a period of time, it becomes a pearl. Something that we look at as valuable, but it didn't start out as valuable. It didn't start out as something that was desirable. It was undesirable. It was, it was an irritation. It was a damaging, injuring type of thing, but it became because of what the oyster did. Now. I'm not telling you you have to be like an oyster, but I'm telling you you have to be like an oyster. <laughs> and, and that means that we too need to cover all the sins that people perpetrate against us all the time. And you and I both know that this is not natural. This is not something we just do naturally. Because naturally speaking, when somebody gets angry at us, what do we want to do? Yeah, we want to get angry at them. We want to give back in the same kind. But remember, what we sow is what we reap. And the enemy is trying to entice us into having an escalating war. Where somebody gets angry at us, we don't feel it's deserved or it's warranted. It injures us, it, it irritates us, and we get angry at them. And they have the same response we do from the other side. Well, that's not right. It injures them, it irritates them. I'm, I don't deserve this. And they up it one more. And then it just keeps going on until there's just such a division and there's such damage being done that it's highly unlikely there's going to be a reconnection. Now, who's behind that? 
the enemy. The one who's come to, what does the enemy do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Is that anything, any of those, anything that you want in your life? You want in somebody else's life? <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> well, you know, it's, I know what the right answer is, but I'm not sure I can answer it. No, we shouldn't want that in anybody's life because we're children of the Most High God. Our God is a life-giving God, not a life-taking God. And so we don't want anybody to be stolen from, killed or destroyed. And so we can't give in to that, although that's what we are prone to giving in to. But we have to choose to walk in love. Well, I don't know if I have all the love that God has. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans that the love of God is shed abroad. It floods our hearts. Oh, I can't do it. That's a deception. Where there's deception, there is? Right, there's loss. Why is it a deception? Because the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. God gives you love in that moment for that person so you don't respond in kind. You respond the way the Bible says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. On the cross, did Jesus call for vengeance? No, he called for forgiveness. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. There's not a one of us here today or any day that's going to go through what Jesus went through. And what Jesus did, he didn't do as God. He did it as the Son of God who came to earth to live a life as you and I live, empowered, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who flooded his heart in that moment with the love of God for the people that were doing what they were doing to him, saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. He was showing love to them when what they deserved was something else. And we too were called to walk the way he walked. And I don't know about you, but I will tell you that I look at this and I listen and I pray and I meditate on this and I think in my natural thinking, this is impossible. And yet with God, what's possible? All things. And so I need to understand that not only is the love of God shed abroad in my heart and your heart, there's grace that God gives us in his empowering presence to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. But that grace is something he offers to us. But if we don't think we need it or we try to do it on our own, we don't receive the grace that God has for us. And then we don't live the life God intended us to live which means we don't experience the abundant life and the blessing to be a blessing to other people. It's all tied up together, and that's where we need to see through what's going on in our, our world and our society, even in the church, when we allow divisions to foster. And all of us in the world are being robbed of what God's best is. This covers a multitude of sins. So how do, we, how do we do what the oyster does? How do we, in that moment of injury or irritation, how do we begin to start covering this over with something? Not covering it over in a cover-up, 
but a surrounding so it moves from what it's been to something that is priceless and precious, not only to you, but to others. Today, we're going to look at this, and we find it in the preceding verses in, in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12 and 13. And as we look at these today, I just want you to be open to considering what the Bible says. And as much as it may seem difficult or even impossible, know that God is not asking you to do something that you can't do. But God is asking you to do something you can't do without relying on him without allowing him to have his way. So the easy-to-read version says, verse 12 and 13, is God has chosen you and made you his holy people. Now, who's he talking to? Every child of God, every one of us, this is who he's talking to. There's none of us that are left out. If Jesus is Lord of your life, this is you. He loves you. So your new life should be like this. Show mercy to others. Be kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. God's already forgiven you. What we freely receive, we're to freely what? That was weak. Yeah, give. What we freely receive, we need to freely give. God's given us forgiveness. Now we have to offer forgiveness to others. That's how they're going to see God. But it says that we're to show mercy to others. Do you see a lot of mercy or kindness being shown to people today? No, people are judging each other. They're condemning each other. They're finding fault with each other. When it says showing mercy Mercy is not giving what's deserved, okay? If, if you are in a situation, say you're pulled over by a policeman as you're driving. And he walks up to the window and he says, can I see your license and registration? How do I know that? Because I've had that asked of me. And, and what you're hoping is he's not going to give you what you deserved. If you were breaking the, the speed limit, what you deserve is a what? A ticket. You deserve a ticket. But what you're hoping is he's not going to give you a ticket. He's going to give you a warning. All right. So we all know this. I was driving down one of the roads uh, before we left in a group of men to go down to a uh, uh, a big gathering, and a, a policeman pulled me over, and he said, you know how fast you were going? And I honestly didn't. I said, no, I don't know. I was just thinking about other things. And, and he said, well, you're going way over the speed limit, and uh, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. And so he took my license and registration, went back. This, this wasn't last week. All right. <laughs> I'm doing much better. Uh, I took him back to his car, brought back my ticket, and he said, by the way, where were you going? And I said, well, I was going to Walmart because I needed to pick up water for the group of guys in our church, we're going to this meeting. I'm the pastor. And he went, oh. <laughs> he said, why didn't you tell me that first? I said, because I didn't want that to affect what you're doing. What you're doing is the right thing. I was doing the wrong thing. I was hoping for mercy, but... <laughs> 
And he said, now I'm going to have a really bad day because I wrote a ticket for a pastor. I said, no, no, no. God will take care of you. You're doing right. I was doing wrong. I deserved it. But we want mercy. Don't all of us want mercy when we do something wrong or foolish or, or something we later on realize, man, that wasn't the right thing to do. Don't we want people to be merciful with us? Well, the only way you can guarantee that that's going to have a possibility of happening is being merciful with other people. The Bible says what you sow is what you reap. If you want mercy in the future, you should sow mercy now. But this says no matter what, be merciful. Don't give the punishment or the penalty that is actually deserved. Why? Because we overcome evil with good. God didn't send his son to condemn the world. He sent his son to save the world. Jesus came to give us what we didn't deserve. It was the mercy of God, the love of God, and the mercy of God that God sent his son Jesus. And if that's what he did for us before we ever knew it, isn't that what we're supposed to do for others? Hello? Yeah. And I'm, I am, I'm pulling at you because it's so important that we really get this because we need to back ourselves into a corner. Now, when I say that, this is what I mean. We need to get to the place where there's no wiggle room in our Christian life. Because the truth is there's no wiggle room in our Christian life. We're supposed to be living a certain way. If the world's going to see Jesus, we've got to live like Jesus. If the world's going to see the love of God, who has to show the world the love of God? All of us do. I have to show people the love of God because they may never see you, but they see me. And there are people that won't see me, but they're going to see you. And we have no excuse because God showed us his love. Now it's our turn to show them his love. And so merciful, we, we can't give them, we shouldn't give them what they deserve. But this is also translated another way. We're going to look at this in another translation. And the NIV has it translated this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. There it is again. Clothe yourself. This is the outfit of love. This is what makes up love. This is how we're supposed to be living, how we're supposed to be expressing this love of God for other people. Clothe yourself with what? Compassion. Do you see a lot of compassion in the world that you live in today? People are really compassionate about everybody else. No. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You know, we're in kind of a desert where it's void of compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at the characteristic of compassion, which is mercy, and kindness. And so just looking at verse 12, I believe we, we have it. I, there it is. Therefore, as God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Again, we talked about clothing ourselves. It's not something that automatically happens. Your clothes didn't jump out of the closet and come on you today. You chose what you were going to wear. You thought about it. You made a decision and then you put it on. And you keep it on through the day. If, if, if a wind comes and starts to blow part of your outfit off, are you going to just let go? No. And this, this which we're clothed with is for identification purposes and protection purposes. When we talk about compassion, when somebody has compassion on somebody else, the first thing that has to happen is they notice somebody else. They become aware of somebody other than themselves. Today, so many people have no clue about anybody else but them. Their reference point starts with them. Our reference point doesn't start with us. That was the first thing that happened in the garden after sin. Adam and Eve became aware of themselves. It's time for us to put ourselves aside. Put God first and others second. If we make the focus on God, have you ever talked with somebody and all of a sudden you notice as you're talking to them, they're looking somewhere else? Yeah, it's happened to all of us. And what does that tend to want, what do you want to do? When they're, you're talking to them, they're looking at something else, what do you want to do? Yeah, you want to, you want to adjust your sight to see what they're looking at. I want you to know when you are focused on God, God is focused on other people. And it should help us turn away from us, always being in, in mind that God is considering other people. God is caring for other people. And if we're here on behalf of God, we need to be caring for other people. We need to be considering other people. And so we clothe ourselves with compassion. Compassion considers other people before it considers self. Again, this is not natural. This is not something we just do. This is something we put on and we choose to do at every interaction. We consider other people. When somebody irritates you or injures you, how many of you know the adage of the world is hurting people hurt people? And that is so true. Hurting people hurt people. And we need to consider, why did they do that? What's going on? Maybe they don't know the Lord. Maybe they do know the Lord, but they haven't grown in the Lord. You know, I, I have seen so many Christians, me being one of them at various times, where I've known a lot of things, but I haven't practiced them. I, I, I haven't matured the way God wants me to mature. And I'm still in the process of being matured, but we all are. Give each other a break. Be merciful. Be compassionate. Be considerate. When... when we talk about compassion, it's being aware and considerate of another person, their pain, their struggles, their challenges, and their misfortunes. You have no idea, I have no idea when somebody does something that's injurious to us and they're a believer, what's going on in their life? What's happening? I can tell you that there are all sorts of things that go on in people's lives that we are completely unaware of, but we should be considering. Well, how do you do that? You walk in love. You walk in compassion. You don't just react. When somebody does something to you, you believe the best. You don't count a suffered wrong. 
You don't demand your own way. But I'm telling you right now, today in the body of Christ, in Christians' lives, that's not in operation. In many Christians, they are just counting people out. They're writing people off. They're condemning people. And it's because we're being affected by the spirit of the world instead of the, instead of the spirit of God. And if we're being affected by the spirit of the world instead of, instead of being led by the spirit of God, they are not going to see Jesus. And that's what we're here for. That is exactly what we're here for. So we have to, we have to choose to operate in compassion and kindness. When, when we read the word kindness, the definition of kindness, two basic things. Being helpful and useful. And these two go together. We're considerate. We become aware and, and we don't react to what somebody else is doing, but we, we're considerate of another person and aware of their pain. We, we become informed and, and aware of what pain they're going through, what challenges they're having. Man, there are some days, I'm just going to be transparent with you, that in one moment we'll get a call here from somebody who is in crisis. I mean real crisis. And we're trying to encourage that person and let that person know we're standing with them. And then somebody else calls and wants us to just celebrate theirs. That's how wide a gap there is in what people are going through. And many times we don't know it. And sometimes, honestly, I, I, I fall prey to my heart and my thoughts are with the person that's going through the struggle. Because, yeah, we're to celebrate with those who celebrate and we're to weep with those who weep. But I find it, it's much easier to celebrate than it is to weep. And yet people need both but my heart goes out to the ones that are weeping the ones that are challenged i'm i'm glad for the celebration and this goes back to things in my life that i didn't celebrate much i'm having to learn how to celebrate better that's where this morning whether you realize it or not it was really uncomfortable for me i'm blessed by it but it's really uncomfortable because to celebrate is is somewhat foreign to me and and that's an area i'm having to grow a lot in and I want to. But when we hear of somebody that's going through something, sometimes I don't celebrate as enthusiastically with somebody that's just experienced a breakthrough or, or a blessing as I should because my heart is over here. But think about that person. If all of a sudden the person that had the breakthrough calls the person that is really struggling and doesn't get the response they want. Because what do we want when we, we call and say, hey, guess what happened to me? It was so good. Do we want the other persons on the other end of the phone saying, oh, that's great. I'm really glad. I'm happy for you. How many of you think you might be a little irritated by that? But that's where we have to, we have to be compassionate. We have to start to wrap that in case that situation that we didn't get what we we wanted in compassion, in kindness. Now, Jesus, Jesus was one we read throughout the New Testament. He was moved with compassion. All right? He was moved with compassion. And 
it happened with the multitude in Matthew 14, 14, and he healed the sick. There was a healing that occurred when he was moved with compassion. Then two blind men came to him in Matthew 20. They were asking Jesus to heal them. He was moved with compassion, and he healed their eyes. There was another time a great multitude was before him. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. He began to teach. And later on, you know the story, he fed them. Then in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, it says this. Now a leopard came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion. How many of you know Jesus was really busy? There were a lot of demands on him. And, and people are coming up to him and he's moved with compassion. He is seeing them. He's aware of what they're going through. And he's starting to enter into what they're, they're dealing with and not cut them off and say, you know what, I'll get back to you. He's moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. A lot of times there's a healing that goes on. There is a kindness, a help that goes on when compassion begins to flow. And this compassion is what we're supposed to be surrounding the irritations and the injuries of others with. Instead of just dwelling on it, we're starting to take the... The sharp edges off these things. The, the pricks that are going on in us. Because we're choosing to look at them through the eyes of compassion. We're choosing to operate in kindness. We're going to do good to them. We're going to be helpful. We're going to be useful. We're not going to give them back in kind. This is not something that we can do as human beings in our own abilities. This is what we can do as human beings empowered with God's ability indwelt by the Spirit of God, life's best guide. He's there to help lead us into what we need to do, not what we want to do or what we're used to doing. Amen? There are two other places, and we're going to look at this real quickly. You're very familiar with it, I'm sure. But um, in Luke chapter 15, we're going to put verse 20 up here. But what, what it is is... It begins, Jesus is speaking about three lost things in this chapter. All right? And he comes to the place of a lost son. And this is the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of a young man who said to his dad, these are all parables, said to his dad, Dad, I want my inheritance. Now I want to be able to go off and live my life. What he's basically saying is, Dad, you're worth more to me dead than alive. How do you think that... that affected the dad. I don't want you, dad. I just want your money so I can live the way I want to and I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm leaving. Was the dad injured? Was he probably irritated? Yeah, I'm sure both of those things happen. And all of a sudden, he's, he's speaking about this parable, how the son goes off, he lives his life, and he spends his inheritance. And he says, i got to get back home because even the, the workers in my father's house have more than I do. I'll go back. I don't deserve to be a son. I'll be a servant. 
And so he goes back and, and it picks up here. He's returning to the father and it says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I read that and it gives me the chills. I read that because I read into this. He was looking for his son a long way off. It wasn't like he got to the door, he knocked on the door and said, hey, dad. And he recognized the voice and said, what are you doing here? He was looking for his son when he was a long way off. The Bible says he ran. Now, culturally, we don't think anything of it. We'd think, oh, you know what? We run to people all the time. But in that culture, in that day, men did not run. It was undignified. And so he didn't care what anybody else thought. He saw his son, and he wasn't running to knock him out. You know, that might be the way some of us would want to run at our kids after they had done that. Come on, be honest. Not only did he take everything, he lost it. Now he's coming back to, to mooch more? He runs to his son. He gets there and he hugs him and he kisses him. How many of you know while he was running, he wasn't making up his mind whether he was going to hug and kiss his son? How many of you know long before that he had compassion on him, he wasn't going to give him what he deserved? He was going to be merciful. When do we need to forgive? Always, but in the time frame, do we wait for somebody to ask us? Yeah, we need to forgive before it's ever asked for. How did God forgive us before we ever asked for forgiveness? And so he obviously had gone through the process of starting to coat this injury with compassion and kindness, and he does. He greets his son, he hugs him, he kisses him, he has this huge celebration. Their relationship is healed and the son is restored. Some of you are estranged from family because of what they've done to you. I can tell you right now, what they've done to you may not have been right, but we still, as Christians, and they, whether they are or they aren't, we as Christians need to walk in love. And we need to choose to forgive, choose to operate in compassion and kindness before it's ever asked for. Another story that Jesus taught is in Luke chapter 10. Now, this is, this is a parable when somebody came to Jesus and said, I want to inherit eternal life. What, what does it take? And Jesus asked him, what's, what's the, the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, go and do. And he said, but who's my neighbor? And then he begins to teach. Jesus' teaching is about the Good Samaritan. And we know the story, and if you don't, look it up. But in, in this chapter, he teaches about 
uh, a Jew that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho, gets caught by thieves, gets stripped, beaten, and, and, and robbed, and left for dead. There's a Pharisee, a priest, that comes down the road, looks at him, and passes on the other side. There's a Levite that comes down the road, looks at him, passes on the other side. Don't want to have anything to do with him. Then there's a Samaritan. Now, the thing that we know, we, we realize is Samaritans and Jews were enemies. What Jewish people thought of Samaritans were they were dogs. They were worthless. They were, they were less than worthless. And the Samaritan sees him, and in verse 33 it says this. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. All of a sudden, he's seen an enemy that's been beaten up, robbed, stripped, and left for dead. Something had been working in his heart before he ever came upon this person. He had made some decisions without fanfare, without pressure. He made these decisions to say, you know what? These people are valuable. I'm, gonna, I'm going to choose to walk in love towards these people. And he sees them and he goes towards them. He has compassion on them. And, and you know the story. He, he bandages up his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey. He takes him to an inn. He, he takes care of him for a while. Then he says to the innkeeper, here's some money. Take care of him until I return. That's kindness. Sacrificial kindness. And I want you to know God sacrificed for us to be kind to us, to be compassionate to us, to be merciful to us. And if we've received that from God, we have a choice. Are we going to live God's life or are we going to live our life? The life we as human beings live or are we going to show them something other than what human beings can do? This is what revival is about, that we get reconnected with God, we get reunited with each other. And as we're doing what we're doing in the love of God, when other things happen, people are seeing God in the midst of it. And they're being drawn. When... If you saw what happened with the, the Good Samaritan and this man that had been caught by the thieves, would you want to get to know this guy? I guess not. I would. I'd want to know who he was. I'd like to, I'd like to be around people like that because I don't know when I'm going to get caught by thieves. I don't know when I'm going to get roughed up. But I'm telling you, as people of God, we need to be people that people want to be around. But unfortunately, many times people look at Christians as all they know is what we're against, not what we're for. I don't see Jesus doing that. And, and I don't see where we have the right to do that either. We, we can do anything we want to do. And so... This man who was asking about eternal life and said, who's my, who's my neighbor? Jesus says these things, tells him what went on. And then in verse 36, it says, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy. That's what they saw, but what he had was compassion. Same, same, same boat. 
And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. If he told him who was not in the kingdom yet, he's telling us we need to do the same thing. We need to live our lives, not just loving believers, but that's the start. We need to love God with everything and then begin to love one another in a way where we're choosing to cover over, to encapsulate the sins that are perpetrated against us by believers. And listen, when we learn to do it with each other, we're going to be able to do it with them out there because we're going to be just in the same place with the same viewpoint as Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And I don't want to drive them away from you. I want to draw them to you. This isn't stuff that just... You know, it's good information. It's good theology. This is life. This is your life. This is my life. And I'm telling you, if you will do what God says, he'll bring to pass what he's promised. I told you a few weeks ago, Debbie and I had gone away for a little while. We had actually gone to Disney World. What's, what's Disney World known as? The happiest place on earth. All right, so we went to Disney World. We went with our son, his wife, our two grandchildren, our in-laws, her, her parents. And we also went with Brandon's ex-wife. Our son Brandon was married to a, a young lady they had a child, Tristan, who was born prematurely. Brandon was in the Navy, was deployed for a while. They went through a very difficult time where they didn't think Tristan was going to live. He was deployed, went to the Middle East, came back and found out his wife said, I'm leaving. There was a divorce. God hates divorce. God doesn't hate divorced people. God hates divorce. And it's because of what divorce does. We've gone through it. Sometimes I think people think we never go through anything tough. And so there was the divorce that was done. There was custody for Tristan. This was one of the most painful things, all of us. I'm not just saying me, Debbie, Brandon, his ex-wife, her family. It was painful to everybody involved. And, and primary custody was given to Brandon. He brought Tristan to where he was in Georgia his ex-wife moved down there. He was remarried. And I watched in very difficult, painful, injuring, irritating times for everybody. It doesn't just happen one direction. I watched compassion and mercy and kindness and, and from my vantage point, the easiest ones to see were Debbie and Brandon. And as, as adversarial as those situations were in court, what ended up happening was a miracle. Where the love, the compassion, the kindness that was shown, the mercy that was shown... There's a reconnection for the sake of the common son. 
And I don't know about anybody else. All I know is about us. And I don't see too many families having this kind of situation where there is a reconciliation, a restoration. Not that, I mean, I can't even articulate how amazing it was for Debbie and me to walk behind it. And this was a process. It came over the course of many years and we could see it happening where Carol was getting healed, Brandon was getting healed. But here we are in Disney, we've got Brandon, we've got his wife who's willing to allow Brandon's ex-wife to come to watch their common son experience Disney. Her parents, all of them are connecting and, and you would have thought we were all family and She's a believer. She was a hurting believer. She's being healed. One of the things that she said to Debbie is, you're like a mom to me. Where she wouldn't talk to us. But because of the love, because of the compassion, because of the kindness, because of the mercy, God's able to restore Draw people to him and show the world something that you rarely, if ever, see. Now, why did this happen? Because people chose to walk in the love that we're talking about. Chose to cover a multitude of sin. I'm sure Kara covered a multitude of sin on Brandon's side. But I'm telling you, this is what you can have. You can have miracles that people will look at and say, how did you do that? And you say, it's not a how, it's a who. It's God who is love, and we just chose to follow him, do what he has for us to do. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. The truth is we can choose not to walk in love. God will not make us walk in love. But when we choose anything other than God, we pay a price. There is a penalty. Not that God exacts a penalty, but when we move out of what God has said, we move into the realm of sin. And the wages of sin, the payoff of sin, the result of sin is death. And none of us want that, but we have to choose to do what God has said, the way God has said it. If you're here this morning and you have never turned your life over to the Lord, that's the first. It's a turning to God. It's a reconnecting with God. He's waiting. He loves you. And he wants to be a part of your life because he wants your life to be better than you could experience any other way. And he also wants you to have an impact on people the way he intended you to have, which would be a way that is loving and drawing and compassionate and kind and merciful and is necessary in these days. If you've never turned and trusted in Christ, I want to pray with you today. And if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand and say, that's me. And I trust every one of you has. But that's a beginning, it's not an end. It is an end in a form from the standpoint that the, the power of sin is broken in our life. Now we can freely do what God has for us to do. But it's not by might or by power, it's by his spirit. And it's a choice whether we're going to turn to God, trust in God, and walk in the power of God and in the provision of God. And today, I don't know about you, but as I've preached this message, I've challenged me once again to recognize I can't just go my own way. I can't just do what's familiar or comfortable or common. I have to do the unfamiliar, 
uncomfortable, uncommon, but is part of my heritage as a child of God. Because of the family I'm a part of now, I need to act like family. I need to act like my daddy. And if you recognize that, and I, today, Father, I ask you to forgive me for not tracking with you. Not walking in the love and the mercy and the compassion and kindness that you have called me to. And Lord, I, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters here who recognizes today there's an adjustment that needs to be made. Father, we know that this is not something that we, we just work hard to do. Father, it's not by might or by power, it's by your Spirit. We choose to yield to Holy Spirit. Allow your love to flood us and then walk in that love. Father, this is a time where it is so unfamiliar for us to walk this way. But Father, it's going to be such a witness. As the world grows darker, you have for us to walk in the light even more brightly than ever before. And so, Father, I thank you. I thank you for those that are going to be healed today in the areas of injury and irritation of other people. That, Father, they're going to begin to apply that compassion and that kindness and begin to surround those irritations and injuries and, Father, they're on, on the way to making these things, turning these things into the, the precious, priceless pearls in our lives. Lord, we thank you for reminding us of this and helping us every day as we in, encounter these irritations and inner, injuries. We thank you, Father, for your presence, for your power, for your provision in all of this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Now, before you leave, I just have to share some things with you about uh, our COVID protocol updates.